Rise for the Holy Word of God. Today we're reading Jonah 4. <clears throat> but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious, that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending, sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? May these words touch your heart. Thank you. Well, it's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? Uh, I want to mention one thing real quick, just in regards to my summer, some of my summer schedule. Uh, after next Sunday, uh, my family and I are going to be gone for a couple of weeks, so if you need to get a hold of the office or get a hold of me before then, feel free to contact the church or chat with me after service today. Uh, if, you need, if there's emergencies or things you need to get in touch with, contact the office or, or Etchell or someone on the board and, and uh, the elders board who will be happy to uh, help you out in whatever way you can, they can. We are concluding our series, though, on Jonah this morning. And I want to remind us of the last three weeks where, if you remember in week chapter one, we talked about the shame that resulted in Jonah's disobedience as he fled from God and his call to go to Nineveh. Then in chapter two, Jonah was forced to rest inside the fish where God did some significant spiritual renewal in Jonah's life as he got his life back on track with God. And then last week, we explored how we can love people that might be challenging for us at times. This morning, we conclude Jonah 4, and I, first of all, I hope that you have been enjoying it as much as I have. Uh, I think that it's been an encouragement for me, that, and I hope that the Spirit of God has been refining you as much as he's been refining me over this, this month, because there's been some things that he's been challenging me on, and, and I've had to address in my own life, which has been good, but man, it sucks sometimes. And, uh, but, but it's good. 
Um, and I hope that that's been happening in your life in some way or another. I know some of you have shared with me over the course of, of the month of June ways that God has been teaching you and revealing things to you as well. And, uh, and, I, and I, I would love to hear some of those stories as well later. But the narrative of Jonah really is actually a true-to-life example of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, where Nineveh is this defiant son and the resentful older brother is Jonah. While chapter 3 was the climax of the book of Jonah, where the prodigal son returns, chapter 4 is the, is the post-credit scene that reveals the story of Jonah that we don't usually hear about in Sunday school. We kind of leave that last chapter off when we, when we talk about Jonah. This is the chapter where we read about Jonah, who, like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, is angered towards God for offering too much grace, offering too much compassion, offering too much mercy towards the Ninevites. Now, the irony for me, as as I read Jonah 4, is that if you were to ask somebody to describe God the God that's, that seems to be represented in the Old Testament, many people would say, well, he's angry, he's murderous, he's vindictive, he's jealous. Jonah's position, though, is the extreme opposite side of the spectrum, where Jonah knows that God is loving, slow to anger, compassionate, merciful. And what it reveals to us this morning is that as much as this book is about God offering mercy towards Nineveh, it's more about what God is wanting to do in this prophet as he reluctantly obeys God's call in his life. And it's in chapter 4 that we begin to see that although Jonah was obedient to God's call, that the larger story unfolding wasn't only the redemption of Nineveh, but it's also the change that was beginning to occur in Jonah's life throughout this book. Earlier this year, my, one of my moms uh, turned 65. I'm sure she'll be thrilled that I just told all of you that. So my dad decided, I want to have a family celebration. So I wanna, he's, he decided we're going to do a, a lobster fest. And so we bought all of these lobsters and invited all of our family over. And my brother was invited, but he lives in Regina, so it didn't come. But my aunts and uncles and family came. And we had this big celebration. And, and I loved cracking the lobster shells open. There was just something so primal about that. But sometime over the course of this lobster feast, I managed to slice open my index finger with the shell of one of the lobsters. And it was about a two-centimeter cut on my finger. And I didn't notice it until afterwards. And so I, I, did, I did what any guy would do, and I washed out the lobster goo and, and ignored it. Sometime, about a week later, I, I noticed that my finger, the cut of my finger, really hadn't improved at all. It was still, I can see Sylvia nodding her head like, you're an idiot, Ryan. <laughs> and, and I did what, and, and so I ignored it, and after a week, it still was not healing, and, and so I did the minimum treatment, and I put some polysporin on it, and threw a Band-Aid on it, and I did that for a day, but nothing changed, and, and over the course of the week, though, I noticed that the skin was beginning to grow over the cut. It's healing, except that it still hurt, and it was still painful, to the point that three weeks after the initial cut, my finger was starting to swell. And it was starting to turn red. And any time that I put pressure on it, it hurt. I play, tried playing disc golf, and I couldn't grip the disc properly. Or I tried holding a pen or, 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 or typing on the computer. 
And, and after three weeks, a light bulb moment came on. I thought, you know, this might be an infection. <laughs> yeah, slow learner, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> so I had to go through the painful process of reopening this small, simple little cut and remove the infection before it could stop hurting, before it stopped interfering with the basic things in my life. Isn't it true that sometimes we can look good on the outside, but there's some things that God still wants to do under the surface of our lives? Some things are more difficult to address, especially if it's been neglected and ignored like I ignored this little silly cut. And as we enter Jonah chapter 4, and as we continue along the storyline of Nineveh, this time the attention shifts away from Nineveh and onto the spotlight where Jonah is. Where Jonah sees that God has changed his mind from destroying Nineveh. God saw the repentance expressed by Nineveh and relented his judgment over them. And as we see in verse 1, in some translations it says that, that this seemed very wrong to Jonah. In other translations, it says that Jonah was greatly displeased. You see, Jonah had assessed the situation and had seen the results of God's judgment and concluded that it wasn't satisfactory. Jonah was unhappy with the level of grace that God had just offered to this cruel and barbaric city. There was just too much grace. There was no way that God should have done what he just did. And the injustice of God's judgment over Nineveh caused this deep expression of anger. Anger is just the emotional reaction of a judgment we make about someone or something. The emotional reaction of a judgment we make about someone or something. For Jonah, he had made a judgment about the Ninevites that they were going to finally get what they deserved. All the terror that they had inflicted, they were finally going to, to get what they deserved but it never happened. And so Jonah now is left confused, disappointed, upset, angry. And this theme of, of being upset, disappointed, and angry with God continues through the entire chapter, of, of chapter 4 of Jonah. And God begins to address this anger issue in Jonah. And the first thing he asks in verse 4 is, do you have a good reason to be angry? But we see that Jonah doesn't actually give an answer here. There's no response. In fact, he's, he just gets up and walks away. He leaves Nineveh, and he isolates himself from God again. This is a pattern that we see in Jonah that we saw in chapter 1, that we see again in chapter 4, where God asks him something, and he just gets up and leaves. In fact, what he does is he goes and sits on the hillside in verse 5, and it says, so that he could see what would happen in the city. Presumably, most commentators think that Jonah had, had, had gone to the hillside and he was kind of still holding out hope that, that God might actually change his mind again and, and rain down judgment on Nineveh the way that Jonah had expected him to. So we read in verse 5 that Jonah leaves Nineveh and he builds a shelter overlooking the city, and, and the, the, the idea of the shelter is basically like uh, some thicket of brush or some, some trees, and he's just covered himself to block the shade. 
And as Jonah sits in the heat of the day this, on that, that morning, God raises up a plant to further protect Jonah from the heat. And so now there's this vine with the big leaves, and he's, he's nice and protected by the shade, by the sun. The average temperature in Nineveh at that time, if we remember, is in, it, Nineveh is, it was, is, it was in modern-day Iraq. And so the average temperature would have been around 40 degrees Celsius. It's warm. And it says that Jonah was happy about the vine. Of course, who wouldn't be? The next day, though, God brings a worm to destroy the plant in verse 7. And Jonah's happiness, that he's sitting in, in shade and comfort, his happiness turns to anger again. But then to add more to Jonah's misery, God brings a scorching wind. Now, living in Lethbridge for the last 10 years, we just call that Tuesday. But the wind that God brought that day was known as a Sirocco. Sirocco is a warm east, east wind that, that felt like it was almost sucking the moisture out of your skin and your lips. And it caused your skin to tighten and it caused your body just to, to feel a deep sense of discomfort as the moisture felt like it was just being pulled, extracted from you. And oh yeah, the Sirocco would increase the temperature by anywhere between 12 and 20 degrees Celsius. It is hot. So you can kind of get an idea as to why Jonah thought he was going to die. When we, when we can safely assume that the temperature was over 50 degrees Celsius that day, with no protection from the sun. God is sending a message to Jonah through Jonah's circumstances that there is an infection in his life that Jonah is needing to address. But Jonah doesn't know it yet. Or maybe he's like me, he's been ignoring it for a long time. And throughout the book of Jonah, we see evidence of how God has used creation to orchestrate his will and draw Jonah back into his plan. Starting in chapter 1, verse 17, the passage that we read says, God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And then in chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8, God appoints the plant, God appoints the worm, God appoints the wind. The word appointed here is meant to suggest that, it, that this wasn't just a coincidence or an accident, but that there is a divine intent to the fish, the plant, the worm, and the wind. And it was evident in chapter 1 when he walked away from God's cult in Nineveh, and now again as we read chapter 4. But we see in chapter 4 that there is an, an infection in Jonah that God is now having to confront. And just like with my infected finger, sometimes the process of opening up a wound that hasn't healed properly isn't always pretty. If you've heard stories, maybe you've experienced it yourself with a broken bone that, that hasn't set properly, and the doctors need to re-break the bone, or in my case, clear the infection. That's often a painful process because it's been neglected for so long and, and dealing with it properly can be scary and intimidating and difficult. And what we see in this chapter is that sometimes God appoints circumstances in our lives for a season to force us to deal with the infections in our lives, forcing us to deal with an infection in our life that we, maybe we didn't want to deal with. 
The infection that had festered in Jonah's life was resentment and bitterness, and now it was beginning to leak out in his life in a, in a spirit of anger. And the infection was now affecting how he viewed others and how he was viewing God. About two years ago, while we were still living in Lethbridge, God addressed my own infection in my soul. It was the area of bitterness, actually. And there was a period of about two or three, four days in my life where just this, this small window of time where I just found myself becoming more and more short-tempered and, and impatient. People were just annoying and irritating, and, and I just became increasingly agitated with people. And I would find that I was getting angry with people inside. And I'd stew and I'd internalize my frustration with all the people that did something that I didn't like. Now, part of the rhythm of my ministry schedule includes a day of prayer each month. So I get out of the office and I just talk and pray with Jesus. And we talk about life, we talk about marriage, talk about parenting, talk about ministry. Through that, that day of prayer, I began to ask God, what's going on in here? What's going on in my heart? Why am I reacting the way that I'm reacting to all these people in these situations? What's going on in my heart? See, I knew that I could see that there was a lot of judgment and anger that was leaking out in my attitude towards others, and so I, I began to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal that what is going on in here. And God began to reveal to me during that time of prayer that the bitterness that I had towards certain people, and He began to draw names and faces, and situations, and decisions of the leadership of my church. Decisions and things that, had been, that, had, that I didn't agree with, situations that I had been hurt by or offended by, and I was holding resentment and bitterness towards them individually and collectively. And as God began to reveal those things to me, I realized that it was not only affecting how I interacted with that group of people, those individuals, but now it was beginning to affect, affect my, my parenting, my, my relationship with Natalie, how I ministered to the, to the people that I, that I cared for, that I pastored, and this bitterness that I, that I had in my life. And during this prayer time, during this time where I was beginning to listen to God, and He was beginning to reveal and expose this, this infection in my life, Hebrews chapter 12 came to mind. Verse 15, it says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble. Well, it became pretty apparent very quickly that this wasn't just a little sprout of bitterness in my soul but that, this, that over the years I had neglected this, this infection in my soul that had, at the root had grown pretty big inside of me. So my obvious question was, what do I do then with that, God? What do I do to get rid of this bitterness because I'm so angry and I can, I can justify all of these feelings that I have? So I read the previous verse, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men. Great. See, I knew that the root of bitterness flourishes in darkness. 
like most weeds, like most sin does. And so I needed to shed light on it. Leadership meeting, and I would shed light on what was going on inside of me. And so I confessed to them that God had been challenging me to address an area of my life that I wasn't proud of. But that the unity of the body of Christ and as leaders, that this was important to me. It was important for me to live out, to live at peace with all men rather than to live in this unspoken tension that I was living in. And so I confessed to the men and women of leadership that I've been holding on to this bitterness and resentment towards them and that I needed to ask for forgiveness. I told them that although I may not have agreed with every decision that they have made, I knew that the bitterness that I had was preventing me from loving them the way that Jesus wanted me to. The thing with bitterness is that it's not always easy to see or identify because it disguises itself so well. It looks like self-justification. It looks like false accountability or holy indignation. Over time, though, as the, as the root of bitterness grows, it makes it impossible for us to see people in the same way that God sees them. And much like Jonah, his bitterness infected his attitude and opinions of the Ninevites. And the thought of possible redemption for them was just an absolute non-starter. It was an impossibility. Clinical psychologist John Gottman he, he developed this relationship theory around the role of relationships, specific around marriages, but I think it does apply to all relationships. And he called it the four horsemen of the apocalypse, suggesting that if, if, if a relationship has one or more of these horsemen in your relationship, that there needs to be some work done to address it. One is criticism. So someone who's critical, sharp-tongued comments towards each other or uses sarcasm... Defensiveness is number two. So blame shifting or excuse making. The third is stonewalling. So just, abs- just silence or shutting someone out. And lastly, the most dangerous one is contempt. Well, contempt is just a synonym for bitterness. Contempt is the idea of this long simmering negative thoughts where we have resentment towards another person or group. Long, simmering, negative thoughts where we have resentment towards another individual or a group of individuals. Gobman argued that, would argue that a relationship with contempt actually has a higher likelihood in leading to divorce than any of the other three. In fact, he, could, he is, has seen it so frequently that he can, he can predict it with concerning accuracy whether a relationship will end in divorce or not based on the level of contempt and bitterness in a relationship. We see in Jonah 4 that bitterness is often the cause of unmet expectations, where we expect more from others because we see the potential of what could be. Maybe we expect more from God because, we see, because he, he didn't do what we wanted him to do. Maybe our expectations are based on partial or limited information. Or our expectations are based on a self-serving interest. And we look at the actions of a person, and we conclude that what they've done is selfish and inconsiderate and controlling and manipulative, 
And we can list it, we have a list of judgmental critiques can, can, can go on and on and on. Essentially what happens then is we end up assigning and labeling an identity around that individual based on our observations, observations and assessments of their actions. So for Jonah, he assigned a specific identity to the Ninevites based on his bitterness and contempt for them, based on their actions. They did these things, they deserve these things. And he determined, Jonah determined, that the Ninevites were disqualified from grace, that they were disqualified from mercy, they were disqualified from compassion. You see, in Jonah's mind, the conclusion he came to based on, the, based on the actions of the Ninevites was a Sodom and Gomorrah-style barbecue. He wanted justice. He wanted wrath. He wanted revenge. And when it never happened, his unmet expectations, rooted in bitterness, came out in anger. The symptom is always anger when it comes to bitterness. So God asks Jonah the same question twice in, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 9. Do you have a good reason to be angry? First, in, in, chapter, first in, in verse 4, God asks about the Ninevites. Do you have a good reason to be angry about the Ninevites, that I, didn't, that I spared them? And then in verse 9, God asks the same question regarding the plant. And as God addresses the anger and the uncomfortable tension within Jonah, Jonah now is left with one of two answers. If Jonah says, no, I actually don't have any reason to be angry, Jonah then has to concede that his perspective is rooted in self-interest, and he has to submit himself to God's will and authority. But he also has to then be okay with Nineveh not getting the punishment that he felt they deserved. If Jonah says yes, then he's ultimately saying, God, you are wrong, and I'm right. And so the first time, as I mentioned earlier in verse 4, God asks the question, do you have any reason to be angry? And Jonah refuses to answer the question as it relates to Nineveh. Instead, he leaves and sits on the side of a hill. The second time, though, Jonah gets a little bit more bold, a little bit more transparent, and as God asks Jonah about the plant, Jonah, in his honesty, responds in verse 9, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And God's response in this, in verse, four, or verse 10, I love his response. It is so gentle, it is so firm, it is so loving, and so filled with truth. Jonah you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? This is the moment where, where God is revealing the infection in Jonah's life. And God points out this major heart issue, this, this root of bitterness in Jonah and says, Jonah, you cared more about this plant than you did for the 120,000 people made in my image. Ouch. Can you just see this, this loving, gracious, gentle,
gentle response, but firm response with Jonah. Jonah, can't you see the bitterness in your heart? Look what it's doing to you, my child. You think this plant is more important than these people? My heart is for humanity. It's always for humanity. I want a relationship with them. I sent you to communicate that the hope that they have is in me. No one is exempt from my love. No one. Jonah, can, can you see that? And then just like that, the book ends with no real resolution to that question. So this morning, perhaps there's some of you that have been like me where you could see some of the anger, irritation, frustration seeping out and you're, and you're wondering, what is, what is going on there? Maybe you're beginning to identify your own bitterness, your own resentment. You're, you can identify your own anger. Here's three things that we can do to address the root of bitterness, the, the symptom of anger. One, pray over it. Maybe for some of us, your frustration, your irritation, your impatience is leaking out, that it's a symptom of something else going on and you aren't sure what it is. It may be necessary for you to specifically invite the Lord to inspect your heart. Invite the Spirit of God to reveal your, the heart issue that is causing these symptoms in your life. Two, expose it. As I said earlier, bitterness and sin grow in darkness. When we confess it and acknowledge that we are holding resentment towards someone, that it's preventing us from loving others like Jesus, we need to ask for forgiveness and shed light on whatever that is. Now, we can't control what others do with it when we, invite, when we ask for forgiveness. All we can do is expose that bitterness and let God work in our lives as the Spirit of God begins to cut off that bitter root so that we can live at peace with others. Three. Name it. As we've talked about ways that bitterness leaks out, one of the, one of the symptoms is, is anger. We often use anger, though, as a kind of a catch-all to describe how we're feeling. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's helpful to name it and, and accurately describe that maybe what I'm actually feeling, I'm feeling angry because I'm disappointed. Maybe I'm angry because, because I'm being impatient. Maybe I'm angry because I'm afraid of something. Maybe I'm angry because I'm, I'm not in control. Anger is not the diagnosis. It's just a symptom of something else. When we can name it, it helps us to identify what the real issue is that we need to address. I want to conclude with this last thought. As we finish the story of Jonah, and as I mentioned minutes ago that the book seems to end very abruptly. It ends on this question. I'll read it again. Jonah, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who did not know the difference between the right and the left hand, as well as many animals? And we see that it never really gets, that question never really gets answered directly. 
But I think what we see in Jonah is a man who is okay with the uncomfortable tension of raw, brutal honesty with God. And we can see that theme throughout different people, different men and women in in Scripture. In the end, chapter 4, in the end, Jonah was finally willing to bring his disappointment, his anger, his bitterness to God. And he never withheld those feelings from God. In the end, Jonah didn't shut God out. But instead, God meets him exactly where he is at and offers him compassion and patience and tenderness to Jonah as Jonah works through his own infection, as he works through the own root in his own life. I think, though, that as we question, well, what was his response to this question? I think, for me, the answer is this book is his response where Jonah was able to see the bitterness in his own heart. And through this book, he begins to invite us to inspect ourselves. He invites us to to seek after God. He invites us to, to invite the Spirit of God to expose any infection that we might have inside of our souls that maybe we need to deal with. And it's through the book of Jonah that we begin to see how Jonah is willingly willing to vulnerably make himself known. Willingly, willing, willing to expose himself to you and I to follow his example of seeking after God's heart for healing, redemption, and transformation in ourselves and the people around us. I hope that this journey through the book of Jonah has been transformative in you in, in, in the ways that, that I think it was intended to be. I'm going to pray and we'll invite our worship team to close our service. God, thanks for who you are for the ways that you, spe- you use your word, the examples that you, you place in Scripture to, to teach us, to lead us, to, to, to disciple us. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to, to walk with us, that you continue to shape us to be more like you. And God, as we inspect our hearts, as we inspect our souls, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be able to, to boldly and courageously walk into healing that we'd be able to to shed light on those things. God, if we're asking, what is is my response in this? God, I pray that you would reveal that even now. That you would help us to be able to name those things so that we can begin to address them in our lives. God, would you give us courage now to walk in, in your spirit, to walk in faith knowing that you can transform us in ways that you've transformed Nineveh, the ways that you transformed Jonah. pray this in your name. Amen.